Welcome to Unyielded, Thriving No Matter What. In a world that is constantly changing, it can seem harder and harder to keep up. Yet, we all know those people who, no matter what challenges or changes come their way, they somehow manage to thrive. They're contributing their very best, they are engaged in what matters most to them, and they are achieving the success that they desire. In other words, they are creating the life they love to live, no matter what challenges and what surprises show up. My name is Bobby Kaler and I'm your host, and I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. I mentioned that it's a journey, and you might find yourself anywhere along that path. You may be starting out, you may be moving up within an organization, you might be an entrepreneur, a business owner, a salesperson, or self-employed. Or you may just be that person who feels like something else is calling to you and it's time for a change. My mission is to provide stories that inspire us so that when challenge or doubt show up, we will choose to persist. I will also provide practical skills, perspectives, and ideas that will help us create the habits of thriving and flourishing. Because at the end of the day, it is all about providing hope, knowledge, and assurance that we can all be more fulfilled and successful if we choose. Let's get right to today's episode. My guest today is a very dear friend who I first met back in 2004. She finds her inspiration in empowering others to grow beyond their limitations and discovering their inner strength and courage. She is an author, facilitator, speaker, and minister, and has a background in business, education, and a master's in religious studies. She finds joy in offering seminars, workshops, and retreats, providing participants with tools and practices to expand their awareness and to overcome life's obstacles. Her name is Christine Green, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. Christine. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Bobby. It's great to be here. Oh my goodness. I was thinking about it, Christine. We go we go so far back, like, I don't know, 16, 17 years now. So I've, I've been really looking forward to this. Me too. Me too. It's been such a great uh, way to watch each other's journey over yeah. these years. Yeah. And I know, now I've always thought that you had a very interesting profession spiritual mentoring. And I thought to kind of help us all wrap our heads around that. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your journey and what led you to that. Okay. That's great. I'm going to go way back. I'm going to go back. (laughs) I'm going to start in upstate New York. I grew up with my family, a um, good Catholic family. And there was one particular day that sticks in my mind. And um, my sister and I were in the living room watching TV and my mother, and it was a snowy January day. And my mother was pacing from the kitchen to the window in the living room. And she walked like in front of the TV to the window and then would walk back to the kitchen. And then she'd walk back and it's like, what's going on? What are you looking for, mom? And she said, this is a really bad snowstorm and your dad is late and I'm really worried. And that just put me on alert. And so then I started pacing with her. And then being a good Catholic girl, I went to my room and I prayed that because I knew prayer works if you were good. If I was good, then prayer would be answered. So I prayed that God would bring my dad home safely and I would be good. And probably maybe an hour late, my dad drove in and he he got home safe and sound. And so the next day was a day off from school because of snow. And so we were outside playing in the snow and I forgot all about my promise. <laughs> How old were you, by the way? Uh, in elementary school. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. But that shaped something in me. So that, so that as a Catholic, I prayed to beseech and to get something 
And then mm. the years that I then moving to the West Coast and um, just being involved in uh, new thought in uh, religious science and all, all of my studies um, that I learned that it's not necessarily about beseeching to get something, but it's being in alignment. So like my upgrade, my spiritual upgrade is instead of beseeching to get something, it's I'm in alignment with the universal presence. So that's how I came to solidify my faith. So my faith shifted, but I, I was still very connected yeah. and faith-based. So when you say alignment, Christine, that really caught my attention. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean? So that uh, the way I see alignment is that there's there's a presence of good in the world and that there's a universal power for good, that we call it the universe, the force, the creative expression that so when I am connected with that, when I'm mindful, it's really about mindfulness. When I'm Mm -hmm. mindful, then I, my thoughts, my awareness is being in that flow. You, you said something about being in the flow. And Mm -hmm. when I'm in the flow, then I'm in alignment with the the universal presence for good. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And so that's what I came to came to believe. Yeah. So then uh, I'm gonna. So years later, I'm living in um, Portland because I moved from East Coast to San Diego to Huntington Beach and up to Portland. So. Wow. quite a journey. <laughs> yeah. That's another Good places another though. Talk. <laughs> yeah. But I met um my met uh Lawrence and he I had been praying for a relationship and here he was my soulmate. Yeah. You know, he, it was just and you you knew him very well. He's amazing. He, he was amazing. He was just amazing. And I was so overjoyed. I met my soulmate and, and I knew when I met him, he told me he had a a blood disorder. It's called polycythemia. And it's, it's when there's an um, abnormal bone marrow and it produces blood cells that do not develop and function correctly. And so he told me he had that, but he was getting um, medication and he was, he was getting better all the time. So he was in good shape. So I was just, um, on cloud nine because we had this great life. We traveled, we hiked, we, uh, we helped each other in our careers and things were going great until he wasn't feeling good one day. And he had some episodes now and then about not feeling good, but I, you know, knew that our faith was good enough because he was a former Catholic as well. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't, I didn't know about you both being Catholic. No. Yes. Yes. Obviously I knew you were ministers because you guys were, you married Rick and me. Rick and I. Yeah. Yes. But we were, we were former Catholics. Yeah. We were, now we were studying new thought and, um, but we had, we lived our lives in faith and we were very faith-based. And so we knew that whatever situation was coming up, we, we could pray. We had prayer groups, we had connections that we knew that we would, whatever it was, we could get out of it. You'd be okay. We would be okay. Um, then what happened was he had pain in his hands and uh, the doctor thought initially it was gout and gave him some medication for it. And it kept getting worse and worse until he could hardly stand it. And he called his other, his oncologist and the oncologist said, go to the emergency room right now. I'm going to meet you there. Wow. And um, what happened was Lawrence's fingers, two fingers on his right hand started turning blue and they ran some tests. And what they realized is the, the, drugs he was getting for the polycythemia 
was having an adverse effect. Mm -hmm. It was doing the opposite and it was actually stopping the flow of blood. So his arteries were no longer, blood wasn't flowing. And now these fingers were purple and they ran all these tests and they, and they, um, they said, these drugs don't work anymore. We have to find you different drugs. And there, there weren't any. And so what do we do? And so they uh, discharged him. He came home. And then we called everybody we knew. We called naturopaths and acupuncturists and Reiki practitioners and everybody we knew in alternative medicine to come and help us figure this out. Yeah. And nothing was working. And I don't know who finally told us that there was no, you couldn't go back from this and that his part, he would have to have a partial amputation on his fingers. And so, and what his doctor said is that he's this, this polycythemia was so bad that he had to have a bone marrow transplant. And so, um, so he had the operation on his fingers and in the meantime, the doctor sent us to Stanford and we, we went to Stanford and met with all these specialists and they did all this work to see if we could get on a clinical trial, because if he oh. could get on a clinical trial, it would help reverse the effects of this. And while we were there in Stanford, he was being examined and we found that his two of his toes were turning purple now. Oh no. And that was a new development. That was new. Oh my God. And so we talked to this doctor about it and he's, and he said very matter of factly, um, oh yeah, yeah. Same thing happened to your toes that happened to your hand. The blood's not flowing and you really can't have, um, two toes removed because the balance would be really bad. You just need to have all the toes on your left foot removed. Wow. Just that matter of fact. Yeah. Man. So we went back home and um, I can't even, there were so many procedures and so many illnesses and so many things that were connected with this, but eventually he had surgery. He had his toes removed. He learned to walk with, um, he learned to walk with special shoes and um, he, and he dealt with it. He yeah. dealt with it. Don't I? Re- I seem to recall Christine because this went on. I, I don't know exactly when it was. It, it was one of the times. I think he was at OHSU, maybe. And uh-huh. you said that he was thinking about how he could help the other patients. Yes. So That's what? So happened, Lawrence. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so in the course of all of this, while this doctor was examining him to prepare him for the bone marrow transplant. He took tests and found out that now Lawrence had leukemia on top of everything else. The polycythemia had moved to leukemia. And so on Christmas Eve, we, I think it was 2008, we, um, he was admitted into OHSU. And he uh, went through his uh, chemo and everything for leukemia. And when he was there, yes, he would go, you'd have to, every day he would have to walk. And so he'd walk around the hall and he would meet, and you knew him, he would meet everyone. Oh yeah. (laughs) And find out all about their families and who they were and where they were from. And he, he told me one day, he said, you know, when I'm, when I'm finished with this, I'm going to come back and be a chaplain on the, at the night cancer center, which is the wing for the, for bone, for um, cancer. It's a cancer center and for bone marrow transplant. He said, I'm going to be the, the um, I'm, I want to be a chaplain here. Wow. And, um, and what happened was uh, he did have a bone marrow transplant. Um, it, he was one of 16 children in his family. Wow. And there was one sister was a match out of everyone. Out of, and out she of was 16. A, out of one out of 16. She was in China at the time working in China. And so she came back 
And she, uh, it's a bone marrow transplant is a stelsem right now. Mm -hmm. So it's just, she did, she gave her, her stem cells and they were injected into Lawrence and, um, and he was doing great. And they were talking about, you know, pretty soon you're going to go home. It was just a few days. And they said, you'll be able to go home. Well, one day he wasn't doing very well. And he had what's called um, graft versus host illness, where the, his cells were rejecting the stem cells. And we, nobody could understand what was happening. And suddenly his blood pressure just dropped and they, they uh, rushed, they got us out of the room and they rushed him down to ICU and he went into ICU and um, they said, this doesn't look good. And what happened was he had a series, his body reacted. He had a series of strokes um, um, and that affected him. And um, I'm going to skip through some of the stories (laughs) that goes on and on. He, he actually got better in ICU um, after almost calling it quits. The doctor said he's, he's doing better. And um, so, but the challenge is OHSU is not a rehab hospital. So now he has to go to rehab because after having the strokes, he has to relearn everything. His, oh yeah. He can't walk. He can't swallow because he was had, he was ventilated. He, uh, um, his memory, his behavior, how he moved and what he did, everything. And so they sent us to another hospital to good Sam and we went there and, um, they started putting him in rehab and in rehab. So he's having to learn. And when you go in rehab, it's all day. You're, you have yeah. a physical therapist, um, speech therapist, uh, occupational therapist. You're all day doing this. It's exhausting. Is, it's exhausting. The problem is, is that he's still had this graft versus host illness where mm. it affects what it affects is your bowels. And, and um, so he just kept getting sick. And so then they would, he would get sick and they would send him back to OHSU. He'd go to OHSU for a couple of weeks and they'd say, okay, you're all better. Now you have to go back to rehab. We'd go back to rehab. And this happened, I don't know how many times until finally one time he was really sick and they just sent him back to OHSU. And that's where they told us, and this had been going on for, I don't know, I, I lost track of how long, but all of his illness is from the first one until he passed was over three years. Man, And he had been dealing with all of this for the last, I don't know, probably 20 years of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was at OHSU where the doctor came in one day and said, we have tried everything and there's nothing we can do. And we can give you more, we can give you steroids to stop the graft versus host, but it will reverse the bone marrow transplant. Oh man. So there was not really nothing, nothing. That could be done. And Lauren said, <clears throat> I'm finished. I'm finished. Who can blame him? I don't want anything else. This, this is it. Yeah. And they stay, they honor, once you say that they honor it. And the doctor said, okay, I'm going to call um, hospice. We're going to, we have to finish this protocol he's on right now. And then we'll take him off the meds. And that's what they did. And he got to come home. He was home for about five days. His uh, two sons came and just slept by his side and stayed with him. And his twin sister came and, um, and we just, and he was not, but by the time he left, he was not speaking anymore. He was kind of in a coma, a semi coma or, or you're just in so much pain. You just have enough drugs in you. So he wasn't, he wasn't awake or, or lucid. Um, so he's, he stayed for five days, which we were stunned that his body would stay. And I think he was doing his own healing work. They say Mm -hmm. that, you know, you don't know why a person doesn't, doesn't 
why they take time to, to die when they're in that state. And it's because they're doing their own healing work. They're really? I'd never heard that before. That's really, that's interesting. It's, there's a reason it's <clears throat> happening. And we, you know, we want to say what's, ha- what's going on. Why isn't this, why isn't something happening? It's because the soul is doing is, is processing and, and doing the work the soul needs to, to, to do. Yeah. Wow. You know, Christine made me think about when, when my mom was dying and uh, I went back for the final time and uh, I mean, she was in the hospital and it was like, just looking at her and knowing the pain she was in and how sick she was. I remember that thought going through my mind. Like, I don't know how she is still alive. I mean, I'm thrilled that she is, but it was like, and that explains a little bit. Right. Right. Because they're, they're moving through something. And for us, the caregivers, the family, we can't stand to see someone in pain. That's right. It just breaks us. It breaks us. It breaks our hearts. And so we just like, what can you do? What can you do? And so he was, um, uh, had meds. He just had a continual drip. So he had meds that was keeping him um, pain-free, but he wasn't, he wasn't conscious. Yeah. And he stayed like that. And then he, and then he passed. Um, and it was, it was a long journey. It was a long journey. Yeah. Yeah. And you were there the whole time as his caregiver. Yes. Yes. So what happened is I was writing a book for, um, for women and, uh, Lawrence, in fact, would help me edit it because <laughs> I was always bugging him. Does this sound right to you? Can you read this paragraph? Can you read this chapter? <laughs> he had a lot of patience. Um, so I was writing this book and, um, but when he was in the hospital, I started keeping a blog and I started taking notes on things that were happening. And I had this insight before he had the bone marrow transplant. I said, you know what? I'd love to write a book for, for caregivers because mm-hmm. caregivers need all the support they can. And as a caregiver, I would sit in the hospital for hours and people would give me, do you want a book to read? I, I couldn't focus on a book. Right. I had no brain cells. My brain cells <laughs> were about how to get Lawrence better because when you're the caregiver, you're dealing with doctors, insurance companies, you're dealing mm-hmm. with the insurance companies, the nurses, the, the, his care, what he's being fed. What decisions are they making? What new meds are they giving him? So there's, I had no time to read. No. Um, and so, but I had this, what if they could keep a journal? Because what's happening is every day, something really profound is happening. So I said, Lawrence, what if we wrote this book that you give the, the patient side of it and I'll give oh. the caregiver side of it? And mm-hmm. then we can have it be a journal where people could write in. And he goes, yeah, I'm happy to. And so that was like our goal is we were going to do that. Yeah. And then, and then he passed. And I mean, the those last few months, because of the strokes, he had no ability to write. To, mm-hmm. he, could, he couldn't even walk. He was learning how to walk, how to, how to have a memory, how to um, take care of himself. So I let all that go. Yeah. And then after he passed, I was cleaning out the closet. And what I found is when he came home from the uh, hospital, I took his hospital bag and I just threw it in the closet. And um, so I was open that and I was cleaning it out. And I found that he had a journal and I didn't know he was keeping a journal. And the most important part of it was the week, the two weeks before his bone marrow transplant, he, he was writing about what he was going through. And he wow. was writing about, you know, thinking about his mom and, and he, and he was reading the gospel of John. And, and so he was, he was relating it to scripture and um, it was the most beautiful writing of pain and suffering and love and everything. And I was so taken aback, but this fit 
this was the book we were going to write. That's right. And so I took my blog that I had been keeping about his whole journey and all the stories and all the different things that happened. And uh, I took that and I started working with that. And then I added in his and I um, published Anatomy of Caring um, Insights for a Patient and a Caregiver. Yeah. That's amazing. And And I was able to do that in like nine months. Really? It was like my practice, my grief practice. Yeah. Because it kept me going and it was, I was so passionate about it. I would be up late just working on it and editing and doing all the stuff. I just, I knew that I had to do that. And so that ended up being my, my first book, um, to have that and to have both of our names, it was important to have both of our names on it because he wanted to be, he wanted to write a book and he never got to do it. And so he did. He did. He did get to. Yeah. It's beautiful. So with all that, I mean, you must've learned a lot about caregiving and how to take care of yourself when you're a caregiver. I did. I did. Um, (laughs) You not easily. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy process because when you're a caregiver, the last thing you want to hear is, and that's one of my, my pet peeves is when people say, you really need to take care of yourself. (laughs) It's like, yeah, what a a concept. (laughs) (laughs) Never thought of that before. And you know that they're well-meaning, but, Or, or gosh, you look really tired. <laughs> oh, no. People really said that to you, Christine? Oh, totally. No. Totally. Um, <laughs> I um, have a handout that I'm going to make available. I'll let you know. It's, um, it's caring for the caregiver. And I have several things on it. It's two, two-sided. But one of the things I have are helpful hints, tips for the for the caregiver, for yourself as a caregiver, and then how to be with others who are caregivers. And, and some of those are just what I said is, you know, don't tell them they don't look good. I know I don't look good. I know I look awful. Say, gosh, you're so strong. Yeah. I really admire your strength. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes people would say, let me know if I can do anything. Well, how I interpret that is I have no brain cells left. So I don't know what you can do. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but to say instead, hey, if you're going to the store, let me know if you need anything. Yeah. So I remember one day a friend called and she said, I'm coming over. I'm bringing a meal. What time will you be home? Yep. It was like, she didn't ask me what food I like. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't care. It was a hot meal. And I was so grateful for it. And something, you know, it's what's so fascinating about this, Christine, is one of my podcast guests from before, her name was Sarah Corkery, breast cancer survivor. And she said the same thing. Don't say, oh, let me know if there's anything I can do. It's Hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to get you food or I'm going to go to this restaurant or I'm going to get you a gift certificate, whatever it is, and do something. And I remembered that when the fire happened here, um, someone that I know, we went down to Denver because we had to evacuate and she called and she said, I'm going to Whole Foods and I'm bringing you groceries. So you can tell me what, like, do you like salads? Do you like this? Do you like this? Or she goes, I'll just buy whatever I think. And it was this, because a lot of people said, oh, let me know if there's anything I can do. And I'm like, well, what am I going to ask you to do? <laughs> right, right. But, but with Rachel, she's like, I'm doing this. And it it really made a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. Another friend came over and she brought me um, bath products. Oh, how nice. You know, it's like lavender bath oil and, and things to, t- and a candle and things to take care of me. Yeah. So, um, so that's really helpful when you're when you're with someone. Yeah. Um, and then 
And then another one that's really important is I say, don't ask, don't call. Because what, what happens that? is our tendency is we want to call somebody and say, how are you? How are things going? And mm-hmm. that's was my purpose of keeping a blog. Lawrence had a really big family and I have family and we had lots of friends. And so I could keep a blog and they could read everything because I was writing every day what was going on. So that way nobody, I didn't have to repeat it Mm -hmm. because that's really hard when people call and say, well, how are things going today? They suck. They're they're still still pretty crappy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's how I I followed your blog during that time because it's, but it's right. It's like, I don't want to tell the story again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's too, it's too painful. It's too painful. So how can, with that in mind, Christine, how can people express that they care? Cause I think that's probably why they're calling. Right. So how does someone express they care without, I don't want to say making it a burden, but you know what I mean? You know, um, it's doing the things we said, dropping okay. something off. Um, sending a card, um, you know, or uh, sending a note, you don't need to respond, just want you to know I'm thinking of you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's to not ask anything from the caregiver. Yeah. And I had a friend, so when he was in ICU, your family can't go into, or friends can't go into ICU, it's only family. Well, she would go and sit in, in the waiting room and pray. Mm. where she would come to the hospital and bring me a sandwich because hospital food after one, (laughs) it's kind of, it's kind of boring. Um, She would bring me a sandwich or a salad and uh, we'd go and sit together. So she didn't need anything from me. She was just there for me. Mm -hmm. That's nice. So, um, Yeah. yeah. So that was really, that was really helpful. Very cool. Um, I wanted to make sure I talked about that there were, but that here's the thing. Remember I said about that I could pray for anything that Mm -hmm. I would, could, you know, I knew that it would be better. And so after Lawrence passed, it was, it was a few months when this friend, um, I knew she was avoiding me and she finally contacted me and she said, um, I've, I've been avoiding you because we've been praying, all of us have been praying and prayers didn't work Oh, because he died. And I went, oh my gosh, I didn't see it that way at all because there's three forms of healing that there's three outcomes to healing is first, the condition is released from the patient. The condition is released from the patient. The second is the patient is at peace with the condition. Mm. And that that's when you have some kind of illness and you just say, okay, this is the way it is. I'm going to learn to, to live with it. At, at the time, um, um, it was Chris, remember Christopher Reeve? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That he, he lost movement in his, in his body and he was still acting and he was Mm -hmm. an activist and doing everything that, that he came to be not that he was okay with it. He was always trying to, to get, to get better and hoping for new things, but he could live with it. So the patient is at peace with the condition, but the third form of healing is the patient is released from the condition. So so Lawrence's body, there was nothing that could be done. Mm-hmm. His body was ravaged over years of illness and medicine and one, th- one issue after another. And so his body was released and that that's a form of healing as well, because now his soul is free. Mm-hmm. And that's where that when we're going through that is that another thing we have to come to terms with is what do I believe? And do I believe that life is eternal and moves on or that this was it? And that there's the grieving that we have of losing our loved one. Absolutely. That, that 
continues, but there's a place where the, my loved one is no longer at, in agony, is mm-hmm. no longer suffering. And so it's, it's something the caregiver has to come to terms with. There's so much to what you just said with, with the peace that comes. And uh, with that in mind too, Christine, I know when we talked before, you said, and I think this is very related, knowing that no one is ever really gone. Right. You were asking me, how am I one with the universe? How do I know that I'm one with the universe? Yeah. It's like, then I know that things unfold with ease. That's, this is my, my go-to statement. Things unfold with ease and grace. When I'm moving and things are unfolding with ease and grace, I know that there's a place where I'm in oneness. So Mm -hmm. even in the midst of caregiving that I can know that I, I'm, I one with a presence of love. And so there's one story when he was at rehab, we used to have to go in the medical transport and go to OHSU so he could see his doctor because you only can see your doctor. So he would go to OHSU and we would go and, and they would examine him and everything. And then we'd get in the medical, he'd be on a, on a a gurney and a stretcher. And then he'd, um, they put him in the medical transport and then we'd go back. Well, on, on the way back to good Sam, we got in the medical transport and I would sit in the front with the driver and I looked down and my bracelet was gone. I, I was wearing a bracelet that I got in Jerusalem um, a couple years earlier. And it wasn't uh, an expensive bracelet, but it was really meaningful and it yeah. was beautiful beads and it's gone. And I'm in the transport. Now I can't say to the driver, Oh, I lost my bracelet. Can I go back and <laughs> go back? It? You know, <laughs> yeah. and I, then I knew what happened is that when, because every time we would go in the hospital with him, I'd have to wear a gown and a mask. So mm-hmm. when I pulled off the paper gown, I pulled <clears throat> off the bracelet. Yeah. So I had a, I had to let it go. And that's part of being a caregiver. You have to let it go constantly. I had to let it go. And I, I said, okay, I just have to let it go. There's nothing I can do here. So that, you know, I went on with my day and the next day a friend came over and she brought me lunch and, um, I was at home and, and she said, I want to bring you lunch. She brought me lunch and we got to chat and it was really nice to have for the distraction and to see her. And, um, she says, before I leave, I have something for you. And she took out a little pouch and she opened it up and she said, I made these for you. And she took out seven beaded bracelets. In 24 hours, my bracelet was replaced with seven beaded bracelets. Wow. And it was like, I, I started crying and she's like, what's, what's going on? And <laughs> I told her I the do? story. I told her the story and she was overjoyed. Wow. And what a gift that was. And I had so many things like that happen. And yeah. the story that I, I remember I told you about is a couple months after Lawrence passed, I was at home and working on my computer. And, um, and when Lawrence was sick, his dad died and it just pained him because mm. his family was gathering in uh, LA and he couldn't travel because he'd just gotten out of surgery. And he was just devastated that he couldn't be there. And so he wanted a way to contribute to the service. And so he had this idea because he was a, a singer that he would sing the Lord's Prayer as and make it a recording and they could sing it at the service and that he would be a part of it. And That's so Lawrence. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just out of and, surgery himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he recorded this beautiful rendition of the Lord's prayer and he sent it to them and they included it and everything. So anyway, I'm working on my computer and I'm just typing away. And all of a sudden his version of the Lord's prayer starts playing. And Unreal. so you can call it a coincidence, but for me, 
it was like reassurance that he's, he's around. Mm-hmm. It was just like, like his, his body is gone, but his soul lives on. And I've had so many little things happen over the years where I could feel his presence or things came together that would have never, ever come together that only he would know about how to bring this together. Um, it, and it would, and I knew that that was his presence. Yeah. And so if we can have that, it kind of helps, it helps in our grief and it helps in our healing. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say, Christine, when we acknowledge those types of things, it, it gives it more power or something like that? Yes. Because when you acknowledge it, then you're, you're more aware of it. Right. Then you see more things happening. Then you, then something else shows up and you're aware, oh, there's another example of it. I know I, I talked to one of the nurses uh, and she said that when her mom died, she would find pennies. And it was a thing with her and her mom that they would be walking and they would, they would see, oh. find a penny. And so then after her mom died, she was finding pennies everywhere. And it was like, that was like her mom. Mm -hmm. It was a sign of her mom's not far. She's right there. And every time she did, she picked it up. Thank you, mom. I love you, mom. Wow. That's, see that, that's beautiful. If we can see it that way, it Mm -hmm. changes that we know our loved one is gone. They're not here. I can't hug them but their presence is here. Their Mm -hmm. presence is always alive in us. And that when we think of them, that's their, their present, they're, they're thinking of us. And so people will tell me that they had a dream. Somebody recently was telling me a friend that he had this dream about his, his mother. And he said, do you think that's my, my mother communicating? I said, absolutely. She Mm -hmm. wants to let you know that she's around. It's amazing. I mean, it's, I mean, I I experienced that with my, when my own mom died, I I know I shared that story with you and it was, it gave me such peace to think, okay, well, she's gone, but she's still here. Like her spirit is still here. Right. Right. So I I know this is a, you know, everybody has their own belief, Mm -hmm. but we have an opportunity to know, to examine what do we believe? Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. Everybody's going to be a caregiver. Oh, yeah. At some point in life, everybody's going to be a caregiver. And we already know that everybody's going to lose someone. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. But but that's life. It doesn't mm-hmm. go on forever that life has a beginning and a middle and an end. And so we're going to go through that process. It's better to be prepared about what do I believe about that process? The more we're aware of it, the easier that time can be. Yep. But I think we probably avoid it because it's, it's not pleasant. Nobody wants to think about it. Mm-mm. And that here's on that, on that handout, um, the tips for being a caregiver is to prepare for, for death. Are your papers in order? Do you have a will? Are your finances in order? Do you have, um, an advanced directive and do you know who that's going to be? Um, do you have these things? And now more than ever, we're in the middle of a pandemic Yep. that now more than ever, we need to be aware of these things so that when that time comes, you're not having to make these difficult decisions. Right. right. And it's hard because you're right. We don't want to think about it. Um, I was working with a friend and she knew she had to go do this. And she said, I'm afraid if I think about it, it'll make it real. And I said, I know that's a, <laughs> that's a fear that we have. And it's real either way. Right. It's going to be real either way. You You could be prepared or not. 
I mean, Rick and I did it a few years ago. I'm like, this is not the most uplifting. I wouldn't recommend it for a date night. (laughs) No, no. But it did feel good, like to talk it through. What what would be your wishes? And and yeah, not easy. But if it's out there, might as well deal with it. And so you can have peace of mind. Yeah, because then you have peace. A friend of mine, I'm working with her. She's, she's going through the process right now that she, she met with an attorney and she's getting her papers in order. And because she had an an illness that kind of made her, um, oh, I better, I better take care of this. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't have children. So she um, has a favorite niece. And so she called Mm -hmm. her niece and she said, you know, this is what I'm doing. And you're in my will and all of this. And um, it bonded her and her niece. And they have oh. this great relationship now. That's where cool. before they just, you know, didn't really see each other. But, but, um, and the, her niece said, listen, if you ever need anything, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And so it made my friend feel so much better. Yeah, I can imagine. So shifting gears a little bit, I know when we were talking before we started recording, you were talking about how with everything that's going on, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You were saying about the grieving or mourning that we may not be doing right now as a society. Yes. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yes. We have lost so much. We have lost the ability to get hugs. Yeah. We've lost going to eat at our favorite restaurant. Some of our restaurants are gone. I noticed another one in my neighborhood was gone mm. yesterday when I went to run errands. And I grieve for the the restaurant owner, the employees, and it's just one less place to go. And so we as a society have, we don't know how to do this process. And we're, we d- so distracted ourselves during this time. And so just, just coping with being at home and not everyone is distracted. I mean, some people are just trying to survive. I don't take that lightly at all. They're trying to work. They're trying to take care of their kids. They're trying to do all these things, but, but what's happened is we have so much that we're grieving and we don't know. But what happens is we don't feel good. So people report they're really tired. They're really forgetful. They're really on edge. A lot of anger, maybe a lot of anger lately. Have you seen any anger? Yeah. 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 All of that is part of grieving. But we, we don't, because we don't know it and we're not aware of it, we kind of operate over it operate over it. That's a great expression. So what would you, I guess, what advice would you have for someone right now? Oh gosh. More than anything is to have a trusted person you could talk to, Mm. whether you have a friend who you can absolutely confide in, or you have a counselor or a minister or, um, a therapist or, you know, that, that we, to have somebody to talk to, to say, this is what I'm going through right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when someone passes, we have the option of having a grief counselor, which I had one. I mean, I had several because I have a minister. I have a, another minister. I have, a, I had a grief counselor Um, I had my friends to talk to. I had a lot of people that I could talk to, but that grief counselor never wanted anything from me. She just, I would go and pour my heart out Mm -hmm. and it was the most healing thing I could have ever had. And the fact that she told me her story of what happened in her life and like I had months of illness. Like I knew what was happening. I knew this illness was there and things weren't looking good. Her husband had a massive heart attack and died. And he had a business. 
he had employees. She had to go in and figure out all this stuff. But I knew she went through it mm-hmm. and I could talk to her about it. And so it was so healing. And so really, to, to, we're so isolated. And now we're isolated. Even more. Isolated. <laughs> yeah. But, but we're, we don't have to be to reach out on, and talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Or if we've been through it, be available for someone. Yeah. Different ways to engage. But I think having someone that you can really just, like you said, you can talk to them and there's no expectation. There's nothing that's being asked of you. Right. I had a friend every um, few weeks after Lawrence passed, she would call me and she would say, I'm going to the antique market. Do you want to go? And I'd say, no, you know, there was no way I was (sighs) going out. It's like, no. And then she'd call and she'd go, okay. And then a couple of weeks later, she'd call and say, hey, I'm going to the coast do you, for a drive. Do you want to go with me? And I'd say wow. no. And she never gave up. Yeah. And she called me until one day I said, yeah, I'll go with you. You were ready. I was ready. and mm-hmm. But I never felt judgment from her. I never felt disappointment. She just was always there. And... Um, it just made such a difference in my life because, because I knew she was there and I knew if I, when I needed her, she, she would be there. Yeah. And, and and then I went and had a wonderful day with her and she didn't expect anything of me. I could do whatever, you know, I would just be in the car with her and she ran some errands and then we went for a drive and we had some lunch and had a wonderful day and it was so healing. Mm Mm-hmm. And the no judgment. And the no judgment. That's huge. And so now, bringing it to now, I know we can't go for a drive. We can't go to lunch, but we can call each other. We -hmm. can FaceTime. We can Zoom. We can make a connection. And just to reach out, if if you're thinking about someone, then that's they're connecting with you on some level. You're picking up their their energy. Give them a call. Mm -hmm. Send them a text actually call better than text, <laughs> you know, um, just call and say, thinking of you, you don't have to call me back. Just one to say, I love you. And I'm thinking of you. Yeah. It can simple be that, that simple, you yeah. know, and this it's relate. Well, it's going back to what you said earlier. I had so many people when we had, when we had to evacuate, they sent me texts or they called or they, they sent me emails, they Facebooked, whatever it was. And they're like, no need to respond. Just wanted you to know thinking of you, sending you hugs, sending you prayer, whatever it was. But it was like, it was so nice. It was so nice to receive that. Like it yes. really does make a difference. Yes. I've always wondered when I've done that for other people, like, does it help? Does it, does it matter? And now it's like, yes, <laughs> I know it does. Oh, it greatly it matters. Yeah. It greatly matters. Everyone wants to be seen, heard, and appreciated. Yep. That's how we're validated. And mm-hmm. so when you do that, you're seeing them, you're hearing them and you're appreciating them. And yeah. so it makes a huge difference for someone. Yeah, it really does. V- very curious about something. I was hoping you'd kind of share a little bit because you're a spiritual mentor. Uh-huh. What does that look like? You could see it as a spiritual coach. It's okay. another way of saying it, however you want to, whatever word you want to use. But I'm there to be a, a reflection, to be a sounding board, to be to be guidance. So, mm. so people have maybe they have a relationship issue, and they don't know what to where to go or what to do. Or somebody with with business goals, and and I d- she doesn't know what to do. So they come to me, and we meet and discover any blockages that what what is not working or where are they blocked or where are they not being able to move forward and through some practices and tools and i invite them to engage in spiritual practice and spiritual practice is reflection it's like okay. reflecting on ourselves and mindfulness is it's all about mindfulness because the more mindful we can be the more the more 
aware we are. And so Mm -hmm. this is a, I'm so glad you asked this. This is one of my big um, areas right now that mindfulness is so important because uh, an emotional intelligence, when I'm mindful Mm -hmm. and I am aware and that you say something to me and I'm reactive, then I can either get in an argument with you or I can reflect and say, what did she say that bothers me? So that's emotional intelligence is I, instead of reacting, I respond and I take it within. I say, what was that? Oh, you know what? When Bobby said that, it reminded me of that time my mother said that to me and she was scolding me. Now, I know Bobby wasn't scolding me, but I was believing that. So, oh, okay, I got it. Never mind. We're good. Yep. Versus that knee jerk reaction. Yes. Yes. And so we're in such a state right now in our world from being in the middle of a pandemic and, a, and, a, and an election and divisiveness and un, uncertainty for the future. Like we're in the middle of so many things. And so we can react. And here's what happens is when we can react to all these things, but then we, every time we do that, we give someone else our power. That's right. And then if I give them the power, now I'm powerless. Now I can't do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Now I'm swirling in my energy because I believed what they said. Where does fake news come from? It's because somebody said something, they pushed a button where, where somebody reacted and then they took it on and they said, oh, here's what's happening without even knowing if it's true or not. And then they believe it and tell it to somebody else and tell it to somebody else and tell it to somebody else. And pretty soon you can't recognize it. Right. Right. You know, but the power of choosing your response. When I was in my early 20s, um, I was driving to work one day and there was a church I always passed and it had a a little sign out front. They changed the sign every week or every few days. Mm -hmm. And it said something like, you know, you get to choose your response. And I almost drove into the ditch because <laughs> I mean, it was like, <laughs> wait a minute. What, what do you mean? As in my early 20s, what do you mean I get to choose my own response? But then I really started thinking about that. And I'm like, that's powerful. Just instead of reacting, choose your response. That's what got me into this work. I mm-hmm. was I was in relationship with this guy and um, it was I was in my 20s and um, I blamed him for everything. He, he, it was, everything was his fault. And he came to me one day and he said, um, I want to give you a gift. I'd like, um, I'm going to pay your tuition for this weekend class if you're wow. interested. And I went, sure, free tuition. I'll go. And it was all about taking responsibility. <laughs> oh, no. And it was, and then I realized all the blame all the time. I'm blaming him and everybody else for all my pain and stuff. It changed my life. Yeah. And it got me on this path. Yeah. It's so powerful. Now, it is. I have to ask you, did you thank him for that tuition? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, he was very appreciative. <laughs> I went back and said, oh, I think I can be a little different now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, Christine, that's awesome. So this has been great. I'll put the link to your guide in the show notes, but if someone wants to learn more about you, if they want to contact you, what's the best way for them to go about that? My website is revchristine at revchristine.com. Perfect. And you said earlier, your first book, and I know you have two more. Since the first yes. one? So I wrote uh, Anatomy of Caring, and then I made a, a smaller version of that without uh, Lawrence's stuff in there. It just, I, I wanted a, 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 like a giveaway book mm-hmm. and um, it called A Caregiver's Journal. And it's still a journal. There's lots of um, insights in there and, and tools. And then, uh, and then the one I was working on initially, I published Authentic Spirituality. <laughs> I have to look at it. <laughs> Well, when you have so many books, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's great. 
That's really good. So any final thoughts? I think it's knowing that we're all going to be caregivers and that the more mindful we can be, the more ready we will be, the more loving we can be and walk through the experience with more grace. If we deny it, then we're going to be faced with a lot of hard decisions. And Mm. we're in a place right now in our world that this is really an opportunity for us to be very mindful and to develop emotional intelligence so that whatever comes up next, we can meet it. And we can handle it. Right, right. I like what you said earlier with, what'd you say, with peace and grace? Yes, yes. You know. And ease, ease and grace, that it's easy and graceful. Yeah. Yes. That's powerful. Well, Christine, thank you so much for joining me. I've looked forward to this, you know, for, for a long time. And we had to put it back because of the fires, but I, I, I'm just, I've really looked forward to this conversation. Oh, thank you, Bobby. It's just a joy to talk with you. I hope that you loved that conversation with Christine. When I talk with her, I always find myself smiling and feeling inspired. So here are my takeaways. Number one, I was really touched when Christine spoke of her friend who felt bad because her prayers for Lawrence were not answered. And it's easy to think that our prayers failed, but Christine spoke of the three levels of healing, which I found comforting. So level one was the condition is released from the patient. The second one is the patient is at peace with the condition. And the third one, the patient is released from the condition. For some reason, I found that very comforting. Number two, I think that all of us want to say something helpful when, when, when someone that we know and love is in pain. But the question is what to say that will be truly helpful and maybe won't make things worse. And I really liked Christine's advice to say things like, you are so strong, or I admire your strength. And, and it makes me think about how validating these types of statements are and how that allows us to draw strength from them. This could be top of mind for me because it made me reflect on when we had to evacuate our home due to the East Troublesome Fire uh, for two weeks. It, it was a fairly shocking event. You know, we got the notification that we had to leave immediately. We saw the firemen and the policemen, you know, flood and race into our area. And then as we were, we were driving out for, I don't know, the 10, 12, 15 miles on the road, we could see the fire approaching us and it was approaching rapidly. And, and those are images that have really, you know, they stick in your mind. And, and it also took us almost a week to learn if our house had survived. And we heard from dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And I know that every single person who reached out, they wanted to say something comforting. And, 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 and that was touching. And the comments that were most helpful and the ones that, I don't know, that allowed me to draw strength were along the lines of what Christine recommended. And, and they were things that sounded like, you know, I admire your strength and your optimism, or I'm inspired by the grace and gratitude with which you're handling this. So I think that Christine's advice on this is truly spot on. And it's something that I want to make sure I remember in the future so I can be better at comforting others when they need it. Number three, when loss happens, grieve it. Don't operate over it. I think it can be so tempting to try to power through it and operate over it. I think we do that. We've all probably done that. And I suspect that by doing that, we simply prolong it. Number four, when being there for someone who is going through grief or a trauma, just be there. Don't judge. Don't have expectations. Don't ask anything of them. Just be there for them when they are ready. And that might take them a while to be ready just as Christine described, and that's okay. Number five, something that I deeply believe in and teach myself is what Christine said when she talked about how everyone wants to be seen, heard, and appreciated, because that is how we are validated as a human, as a person. In an upcoming podcast, another guest explores how the most invalidating thing in the world is when you're not seen, especially by your own, your own community, your own family, your own tribe, if you will. And it makes me wonder, 
How can we be more intentional with truly and fully seeing others in our everyday life? Ironically, I kind of suspect that I think we can often overlook those who are closest to us. Number six, I loved the discussion on the difference between responding and reacting. Specifically, when Christine said that reacting in haste or anger gives someone else, it gives them our power, right? And by doing that, we become powerless, and then we can't do the things that we need to do. Number seven, as a society, we have experienced a lot of loss this year. And that when we don't acknowledge that and we don't truly grieve it, it shows up in other ways in our lives, like as anger or not feeling well or being tired or in any other number of ways. And it seems like the key is to recognize what's happening and to grieve the loss that we are experiencing. And I also loved what she said. We don't have to face it alone. Find someone to talk to. It can be a friend, a peer, a a, a coach, a counselor, whatever, but Don't try to do it by yourself. Number eight, and this is a huge one. The opposite of taking responsibility is blaming. I loved her story about her old boyfriend who got her the the tickets for that, uh, that seminar. I love that story. Number nine, not so much a takeaway, but I truly hope that you'll check out her guide, Caring for the Caregiver. I downloaded it myself. I found, him, I found it very, very helpful, and I hope you will too. So again, I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with, uh, with Christine. Her combination of grace and ease, it just always makes me smile and it makes me feel good. Don't forget, you can check out my eclectic but essential leadership book list at unyielded.net slash leadership book list. Again, this has been the Unyielded Podcast, where we are committed to bringing stories and guests who can help us all live more fulfilled and authentic lives. If you found it helpful, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple, as well as please share it with a friend, colleague, or peer, someone that you think could benefit from the message of hope and positivity that we are sending.